Today's programming is in partnership with French 22 Design and Creative Strategy, a design studio focused on brand development and creative strategy aimed at connecting with people who are committed to social impact. For more, visit www.french22.com. Allow French 22 to find purpose in your project today at www.french22.com. That is F-R-I-N-G-E 22.com. For sneak peeks of their work, you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at French22 Studio. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. I'm your host, Laurel Gurrier. All right, welcome everyone back to Birth Stories in Color, episode three. Uh, Today's episode features Deja Tate, a doula sister of mine. Uh, Mm -hmm. This episode is going to be a little unique as she's going to be sharing elements of all three of her birth stories. Um, Each of her stories highlight what I think are some important features to touch on when we discuss pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. She's going to hit on teen pregnancy, understanding your preparation for birth, while also um, describing how our relationships um, can have an impact on our birthing experiences. So, hello. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, 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 good. Well, for our listeners, can you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Well, um, like you said, my name is Daisha Tate. I am a doula. I've been a doula for about a year and a few months now. I'm a mother of three. Um, I have a 10-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an almost 18-year-old who will be graduating this year. And college search. How's that going? Uh, it's, (laughs) It's okay. You know, we're, we're processing it. It's a lot of work, but you know. Right. I have been with my husband for about, it'll be 13 years this year. Um, We've been married for about seven. So we have um, a lot of different experiences, um, especially um, early on with my last pregnancy. So, and I will discuss that later. Got it. Got it. So um, let's start with your first pregnancy. And can you tell us a little bit um, about that pregnancy? Well, I was 14 when I got pregnant. Um, I was a um, a freshman in high school. I went to East High School here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I had my daughter at about 15, but I wasn't really prepared at all. I didn't have any type of, you know, childbirth education. I kind of was winging it, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, I had a cousin who was in her 30s around that time who actually showed me her birth video. Okay. Um, so that was the only thing that I had even come close to seeing as far as birth is concerned. Um, prior to that, you know, I just had health class. <laughs> right, right. I don't know how your health class was when you were in high school, but I know that my health class would not have prepared me for what birth was going to be like. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. Um, You know, I was I I was like a go with the flow type of girl, really laid back. Um, I wasn't really, you know, overwhelmed or scared. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, whatever happens, happens. Um, Once I seen the birth video, though, it 
took me aback. I was just like, oh my gosh, what is this? At that point, I was like, okay, I need to probably try to get myself together as far as mentally preparing for this birth. So it was a lot of mental preparation, but as far as education, I was not prepared at all. Got it. How was your family and trying? I know your cousin gave you her birth video, but what was your family doing, I guess, to help you prepare for that? Did you feel like that was a um, a source you could rely on for prepping yourself for what birth was going to be like? Um, my family was very supportive, even though I was a teen mother at first, you know, everybody was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did this. Mm-hmm. But after that, it was like, OK, we're about to have a new um, you know, baby in the family, let's right. help her get ready. So everyone supported me really well. Um, I got everybody's birth story, um, which is, I guess, common right. in this day and age. We hear about what everybody else has done and how they've done it right. and how we're supposed to do it. And I just took it in and just, you know, kept it moving. Like I really wasn't paying attention to it. Um, I didn't let it hinder what I thought about birth, Mm -hmm. but also, um, you know, it was just the fact that my family was there and present at that time that helped encourage me through it. Right. Um, And that's important. I mean, knowing that you, you have someone who you can at least go to and say, I'm nervous or I have a question or I just need for you to say that everything's going to be okay. Um, right. So that's good to hear that, that you had that support system, um, for Mm -hmm. sure. So that was your pregnancy. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, how your birth went for that first pregnancy? Well, I was, um, 42 weeks overdue with this being my first birth. I had no idea that I would go over. I just assumed it would be 40 weeks, but I was surprised when I went over two more. (laughs) Um, At that point, I went in for my doctor's appointment and they gave me a membrane sweep without my permission. Um, I did not know what was going on. I just felt it. And I said, ouch. And at that point, the lady said, oh, it's nothing. We just stripped your membranes. And I'm like, okay, what is that? Mm So now I know that that is birth rape. <laughs> I understand that they have to ask me. Right, right. Um, once I received a membrane sweep, I went home, um, threw up a little bit. And then uh, next thing you know, I was starting to get some contractions. I went in and of course they said, oh, your contractions are not moving as they should. Mm-hmm. Gave me some Pitocin and I was induced at that point. I didn't receive an epidural. I did receive um IV pain meds. Um, but other than that, I did birth her vaginally and it wasn't really a long birth now that I think about it, but it was still overwhelming for me as a 15 year old who was Mm -hmm. a sophomore in high school. Good thing I was really fit. Um, but you know, I think that had a lot to do with how easy my birth was at that point. But Mm -hmm. the only thing that I can say about my first, um, birth is that I just wasn't experienced. I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know about the process. I didn't know about the stages of labor. I went in completely mindless to what was going on. You know, with my second birth, I kind of relaxed a little as far as, you know, just going with the flow, allowing Mm -hmm. my body to do its own thing instead of the anxiety of not, of of being late. Do you get what I'm saying? Because I was Right. Two weeks over. Right. So I kind of had an anxiety, but I didn't express that because I am an internal person. So I keep everything inside. But it kind of came out in my um, labor 
um, because I did have some interactions with my father at that time who was um, in jail Mm -hmm. and he had just got out. And while I was on my birth bed, he said, I cannot believe you got pregnant this and you got pregnant Mm -hmm. that. And I completely went off on him. Like my anxiety at that point came out because it's like, I'm not trying to hear that right now. I am in labor. Yes, I'm 15, but I'm doing it. A baby is coming. So it's time for you to get over it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's about it. (laughs) Right. Um, And I think something you you bring up is the informed consent piece. Um, Yes. It is important, you know, no matter what's happening um, within your birth, you know, we know that emergency situations come up. We also know that... um, you know, we trust our care providers, but no matter what, there should be even for like five seconds, some type of conversation about anything that's going to be done to your body. And you should be able to say yes or no. Um, There should be some type of explanation. Oh, okay. Yes. We have to do a membrane sweep. This is what that is and why we want to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So you def that that's, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that piece and I can, and you know, and you said that because you weren't able to get any, well, not get any, but because you didn't do preparation, you were surprised about being over 42 weeks, which is actually pretty normal, you know, with our, mm-hmm. with first babies, but also just, it then puts you to focus on that instead of actually focusing on what you, what needs to happen. Right. Um, so that was your first birth. Clearly, I'm assuming you took some things from that <laughs> that experience. Yes, I did. Yes, <laughs> so can I did. you tell us a little bit about um, your second pregnancy and and then go in to tell us a little bit about how that birth was and, and things that you might have taken from that first birth to either help or change or make that experience something that you were more ready for? Well, um, my second birth, I was very, very calm and relaxed. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I was really prepared <laughs> because I did not have any childbirth education. I really didn't know still what to expect, but I did know that I didn't want to have any medication. And I did know that I didn't want to go to the hospital too early. Mm-hmm. Those were the two things that I knew. And I also knew that I wanted to have him on his birthday. That was my goal. <laughs> so instead of allowing the hospital to induce me later, like what happened before, which is, you know, I guess that was kind of a fear of mine being induced again. Mm-hmm. I induced myself. I took castor oil. You know, my aunt and my grandmother are like, take some castor oil. You know, you'll have that baby. And I'm like, okay, you know, we'll see what happens. So, you know, all through the all through the pregnancy, I was I was pretty much calm and um I had a feminine attitude about myself. I just wanted to keep myself up. I enjoyed being pregnant. I loved being pregnant. Mm-hmm. I loved being pregnant with my first pregnancy as well, but um it was just a, just a piece about my second pregnancy that I I have I didn't have with the others. Right, right. I'm just basing this off of you, you describing it, but for that second um, pregnancy, you probably were at more at peace because you you had done it. Mm-hmm. Um, you did enjoy being pregnant, um, and you had learned some things from that, so you were able to really be in the moment with that pregnancy. Um, so what was, so you took some castor oil, how, like what, what happened next? 
What was birth okay, like? So <laughs> did it happen? Right away? Did the castor oil work? I know. It worked. You know. <laughs> it, worked. it really did work. I actually, um, I took the castor oil and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm st- I started to feel some contractions. So I got in the tub, um, a really high tub, like it was all the way up into like my neck, if I could, as, m- as much water as I can sit in as possible is what I did. Stayed in there for about, you know, 15 minutes, got out, drunk some chamomile tea just to help my nerves a little bit. And then I laid down. I promise you, I laid down for probably about 30 minutes and the contractions started coming like back to back. So we're leaving from my grandmother's house and... Um, she's like, okay, I, I just need to stop home and, and get a, a, a jacket real quick. It's going to be really cold in the hospital. And I'm like, uh, I'm like really having contractions like every three minutes now. I'm like, I don't know if you have time <laughs> to go home right. and get a jacket. Cause I will have this baby in this car. Right. But she didn't know because of course I'm not acting like she would perceive a pregnant woman to act who is in active labor, mm-hmm. um, about to push at that point. But, you know, we went on and I did make it to the hospital. By the time I got there, I was eight centimeters dilated. Um, the doctor was like, you're ready. We need to get this table together. Cause I'm telling them like, I feel pressure. Like it's, it's coming, like this is coming fast. Mm-hmm. So after all of that, um, I did have him vaginally, um, unmedicated, and it was a great birth experience. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't ask for anything better than that. It was awesome. I mean, you were in control this whole time. I was in control. You- <laughs> yes. You, 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 you set out, you know, you set yourself up for, t- to start the pregnancy. Um, and I think something, um, that you you using castor oil brings up is that there are alternatives to um, going to the hospital and doing induction. I always mm-hmm. you know tell my clients here's the research for each of those options. So, for example, doing castor oil or acupuncture or walking, there are mm-hmm. alternatives. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that's great. Like you you sought out an alter- alternative, something that your your family gave to you um, yes. to try, and you were comfortable doing that and. Even, you know, within you were like, no, I know that this baby is coming now. We need to get to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so that whole I, I time, mm-hmm. right, you knew what was happening to your body. You were in tune with your body um, and trusted yourself about each process of that for sure. That is what I, you know, I try to voice to my clients, you know, like just trust you. Trust right. how you made you know, and, and because I have experienced it, I know how it feels to not be tampered with, to not mm-hmm. be led to do something that you don't want to do and to be completely in control of your body and trusting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try to voice that to them as much as possible. But, you know, you have to be mentally prepared for that as well. It's not just something that comes easy when you're used to trusting in um other people and systems to get you through processes. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you've had pregnancy one, birth one, pregnancy Mm -hmm. two, birth two. Can you now tell us a little bit about um, pregnancy three? And and something that I, I also think is important to highlight is the fact that 
the two pregnancies and births that you had were different. Even though you had done it before, there were still aspects of it that were very different. So, very you know, different. you know, I tell people, even if you've done it five times, that sixth time might throw you for a loop. Um, yes. So it's important to know your body and trust your body. But can you tell us a little bit about um, what pregnancy and, and birth number three looked like even after, you know, having two experiences from that? My third pregnancy, I loved being pregnant, you mm-hmm. know, even with all three of my children, I was happy pregnant, but this pregnancy, I was happy and I was also sad. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. And it was because of the place that the, my relationship was with mm-hmm. my husband at that time. Um, it was very tense, very overwhelming, lots of fighting, lots of, you know, distrust you know, and anxiety Mm -hmm. because I was ready to have her. I was so ready to not be pregnant anymore just so that I can get back to myself Mm because I felt like I'm trapped. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like I was trapped in in that situation and I couldn't do anything. So um, once I, you know, came to the conclusion that, hey, you're not having this baby yet, Mm -hmm. Um, no matter how many false alarms, I had a couple false alarms. I kept going to the hospital thinking that I was in labor. I wasn't mainly because I wanted to be in labor. Right. But my body wasn't ready. She was not ready yet. It was hard for me to accept that because mm-hmm. I wanted her to be ready. I wanted to be done. But um, my pregnancy was was very stressful. And I can remember crying sometimes, you know, at night just crying myself to sleep, asking the most high for it to be over. Right, right. You know, that's that's how my pregnancy went. But as far as the um, birth experience, when I finally, you know, got to the hospital the last time and they were like, well, your contractions aren't really coming in. You're like, I think I was like two or three centimeters dilated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I just want to have this. I was walking the halls. You know, I had called my husband and told him, hey, I'm in the hospital. I think this is it. When it really wasn't it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't it. And I I forced myself to be ready. Mm-hmm. You know, I told them, I said, I want to stay. I don't want to go back home. I want to stay. I want to get this over with. And, you know, of course, they started the rounds of Pitocin. And um, that Pitocin kicked my butt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not able to handle it. Even with my first birth, I did have Pitocin with her. Um, but for some reason I was able to take it just with having, um, you know, IV payments. Mm-hmm. But with this third, um, birth with my youngest daughter, I just couldn't take it. I was four centimeters dilated. I hadn't got up at all. I was clenching the bed in pain. Like I couldn't take it at all. I I was so overwhelmed by the contractions. Mm -hmm. I said, give me the epidural now. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, they were like, okay, sweetie, we'll get it for you. We'll get it for you. So um, after that, you know, they, they were like, well, it's going to take a while for them to get you your epidural. And I'm like, what? You mean to tell me they can't just come in here and right. give me the shot? 
<laughs> they're not ready right like, now. <laughs> right. No, it, it doesn't work like that. So the nurse at that time said, okay, well, while we're waiting on your epidural, why don't you get up and sit on the birth ball? This is the first time that I've heard of a birth ball or mm. seen one. I said, oh, okay. Well, let me try this. So, you know, I get up and I sit on the birth ball. I said, oh, you know what? This feels a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody I never told me to get up and move around during pregnancy. It was just known in my family and with other women. You just lay there. You wait until you're dilated and you push the baby out. Like no one told me I could move. What? This moving thing really works. This right. is what I'm saying in my head. So I'm sitting on the birth ball and... I'm assuming at that point, baby, you know, she drops down. By the time they get ready to come in, I get back on the bed. I get my epidural. And, you know, at that point, I'm relaxed. I got super, like, itchy at that point. Itchy and shaky. You know, I I lay down and they check me and I'm at, like, eight. And then a couple minutes later, I'm at, like, nine. So, like, I'm dilating faster. I guess I needed the epidural at that point to relax. Mm -hmm. But I think it had a lot to do with the birth ball, too. Um, So, both of those combined helped me relax from my anxiety, from um, the pain that I was going through with that epidural. I mean, from the, not the epidural, the pain that I was going through from the contractions that Mm -hmm. I was going through at that time, like, that were so intense. And... I finally got to 10 centimeters. So I was happy about that, but I was fully dilated and they kept telling me, don't, don't push yet. Don't push yet. I'm like, well, what are they talking about? Why, why don't they want me to push? Nobody explained to me why not. And I'm assuming it was because I still had a lip of cervix left to where, you know, I, I couldn't push yet. Otherwise, you know, it would cause some damage. So at that point, um, you know, I continued to breathe and I never, got the urge to push like I couldn't feel anything I was so numb Mm -hmm. you know the nurses and and the doctor are telling me okay you need to push you need to push they're telling me when to push and I was getting kind of scared because I kept pushing and nothing was happening yeah yeah as my baby was crowning my husband was there but he began to throw up oh no (laughs) and I'm like what are you doing dude like I'm sitting here Pushing out a baby. I need you to support me, not throw up oh, in a trash can. <laughs> man. <laughs> I laugh now, but then it was not funny. Yeah. I was right. very yeah. highly irritated. Right. And I was I was scared at that point because I'm like, I, I couldn't feel those contractions to help me move my baby along. And I just convinced myself in my mind I said you know what I can't feel it but I have to get her out Mm -hmm. because I don't want to be in this type of situation where I need a c-section or something so I just kept pushing kept pushing and um you know she finally came and I was so relieved (laughs) I was so relieved um it's it's interesting because I I always tell my clients like you have to be aware of who's in your space when you're pregnant (laughs) and Mm -hmm. also when it comes to the delivery of your baby. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know that was probably difficult because you have your husband Mm -hmm. who's going to be in your space regardless, you know, and you're trying to work through that, but that can have such a large impact on your pregnancy. Um, It definitely can. Mm -hmm. And, and being aware of that and, and vocalizing that and, um, I was going to ask you, but you brought it up and you said that he was there for the birth. Um, and did you feel, 
I mean, beyond him throwing up, though, did you feel like that was something that was on your mind or were you just, you know, consumed by by the other distractions throughout the birth? When I asked for the epidural, it was on my mind. Mm -hmm. He was there and it wasn't like a a love that was felt at Mm -hmm. that point. Um, and I think it, I think that is what stalled my labor, mm, like yep. that relationship, yep. that tension that was between us mm-hmm. at that point, it prevented me from progressing. It mm-hmm. prevented her from coming. Yeah. I, I was yelling and screaming all late, all pregnancy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I always, I make jokes now, you know, I, cause she was something else from the time she was one to four years old, she was off the hook. He was turning me out in stores and yelling and screaming. And you would think like, what is going on with this girl? But, and I always said, I said, it was because of my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It was because of my, it was what she was exposed to. It was how I was acting. It was, and, you know, I look back and I'm like, you know, I, I know I, I could have done things differently. Right. You know, but every, I believe everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. Everything is a lesson learned. And thank goodness me and my husband are in a great place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness we did not leave it alone at that point. Like we wanted to. Right. You know, because now we have a good 13 years of being together. Right. Congratulations on that. I mean, not that's, all of that's a big, that's a big feat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Clap for that for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I just I know when we were like we were originally talking about having you on I just loved that each of your experiences brought out something that was so important to think about um throughout pregnancy, birth and postpartum and I and I was like yes we have to we have to um have her share that. But I also want to know, you know, for those experiences um and and I'm I'm mainly focusing on with your first pregnancy and and your last what did postpartum look like for you? Did you feel like there were things from the birth that needed to be addressed then in postpartum? With my youngest or with my oldest daughter, postpartum was good um, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I had my mother. My mother decided not to work to help me with my daughter. When my six weeks was up, I did go back to school and she watched her. So I always had her in the home. I did breastfeed. Um, I did not exclusively breastfeed because I didn't know that I could. Um, I was working with a hand pump and I said, you know what? I'm not about to be hand pumping. So I decided to supplement with her. Um, So I did um, formula during the day while I went to school. And at night I breastfed. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard not getting any sleep. Mm -hmm. It was hard. And my mom was like, look, this is your baby. I'm not staying up with her. She did every once in a while. Right. But she didn't really come in and and help in that manner. It was me alone. And as a teenager, you know, I'm sitting here in my room. I have all of these posters from Vibe and, you know, everything else around in the wall. And then I have a baby, (laughs) you know, and I'm just like, I can't believe this. Like, I was in shock afterwards. Mm -hmm. I was in shock. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I have a baby, like I'm up all night. I'm sleepy. I'm tired, you know? And yeah. I, I just kept telling myself it, it's almost over, you know? And with every, every pregnancy or every childbirth, 
I had to keep telling myself only a couple more months, only a couple more months. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, usually once they get to about four months or three months, sometimes they start sleeping more. Mm-hmm. At least you can at least get about good, good five hours in. Yeah. At that point. So I just kept convincing myself that it was almost over and just be patient and just, you know, I, it was like a mental thing with me. So yeah. I didn't really have that support the first go around. The second go around, I didn't have any. Me and my husband, we broke up after that for a little bit. Okay. So it was just me and my other two children. And they were my support, which is crazy, I guess some people would say. But they helped me get bottles. They Mm -hmm. helped me get pampers. In some cases, it's not really good because you don't want your children to be you know, parents, so to speak, like, uh, and then a lot in some households, especially in African-American households, the oldest children are like a second parent Mm -hmm. because the, the parent is either a single parent, even if they are together, the mother and father, um, they're both trying to work to provide Mm -hmm. and, you know, they just need that help, that assistance. So when they don't have it from outside people, like I didn't, I had my family, you know, and they helped me as far as buying stuff, pampers, things of that nature, but I didn't have a job. I couldn't get a job. And with my last child, you know, my, my younger children were to support and I had to tell myself I had to get a job. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to get a job. I couldn't stay home on assistance because I was on welfare. I couldn't do that. So I, I applied for work and I went out to work at two weeks, two weeks postpartum. Wow. Wow. I had, I had to, right. You see how we are forced in some cases to do what we have to do to provide families, which in return hurts us mentally, Mm -hmm. physically with our health. You know, anything could have happened to me postpartum. Anything could have happened to my daughter, but thank goodness I found a trustworthy in-home care provider. She stayed right in back of me. She took me to work. She um, provided me with stuff that I needed from my house, food. Um, she was my support. She was my doula. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my postpartum doula. She was. And if I didn't have her, I'm not sure what how that would have worked out. But mm-hmm. I, I went to work at two weeks postpartum. That's two weeks. Clearly, I'm hormonal um, being pregnant, but I'm tearing up a little bit thinking about just like having to leave your baby at two weeks. Yes. Um, just how yeah. hard that is. It's fair. <laughs> and I mean, I'm you know, you, <laughs> dang it, Laurel, you did it. You have support <laughs> clearly. And you have people that, you know, are, are taking very good care of your baby, but that's like prime bonding time it and is. recovery and mm-hmm. two weeks is just a lot. And at that point, I also stopped breastfeeding. <sighs> I was engorged. I, I think I, I was suffering from mastitis, but I treated it with like ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so engorged. Yeah. I was cussing around the house and everything. I said, I am not doing this no more. Right. (laughs) I was so fed up with, you know, 
breastfeeding at that point, I think if I had someone who could teach me and help me through that. Um, one thing that I forgot to add about my first pregnancy is I did breastfeed her until she was one and a half. Okay. With the supplementing, but okay. I did continue to breastfeed with my son. I breastfed him for about four months. So the postpartum period was a little bit different with him because my youngest, my, my oldest daughter at that time was older. You know, she was five. So with my last um, pregnancy, I, I only breastfed her two weeks. I couldn't take it. It was so painful for me. Right. Um, now I know it probably was a latch itch- issue. Mm-hmm. But no one told me to see a lactation consultant. No one told me that I had these options available. I did have someone coming to see me from like Healthy Start or something. You know, Mm -hmm. like a Healthy Start program. And they did provide me with material stuff, like a bed, all of those things. But nobody actually provided me with support in how to care for three children, how to actually breastfeed and be successful with it. Um, while trying to work and while trying to provide as a single mother. Right. You know, I was alone. You know, I was literally alone and I had to do what I had to do. Right. Is there anything else um, that you you want to share with listeners um, that you think is important? I, I do want to emphasize that although, you know, I did have one unmedicated natural birth, mm-hmm. vaginal which was my choice. Um, I would definitely recommend that women seek out childbirth education, get to know your rights Mm -hmm. as a pregnant woman, Um, get to know your providers, get deep down and get to know everything that is surrounding you during your pregnancy. Anything that is causing you stress, um, let it go. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not worth it. Um, I was lucky and I don't want to say lucky cause I don't use that word. I was blessed. Okay. I was blessed to have things turn out the way they did mm-hmm. with my children because I was young, um, with three children and I was providing for them alone and it could have went differently. All of this was going on in the projects in this city, you know, so anything could have happened. Um, and I'm thankful that I was able to make it out of that and mm-hmm. that I have a testimony to tell other women how, you know, how my birth went so that they can see that, you know, every birth is different. Every situation is different. Um, we learn from things and we grow. And I'm, I'm just thankful that I was able to um, become a doula and actually find out about um, just just the the childbirth education of pregnancy and birth like that was like a big eye-opener for me and a many I didn't know a lot about you know pregnancy and birth and once I took you know my training and things like that it just opened up so many um you know eyes for me I guess only have two but it it opened up (laughs) seriously um just how how things really should go Mm-hmm. When you don't know, you know, when you don't know, it's just like, wow, I, I was shocked. But that's about it. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, there is um, 
something that I do want to highlight from your work. Um, you recently put out a blog article, and can you tell us a little bit about that? And I think it might really be beneficial, well, for everyone, but for those who are interested in um, pursuing doula work, um, I thought this this blog piece was perfect for that. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, and of course, um, in the show notes for, for our listeners, I will be um, linking that that article for you guys. I decided to do a blog article on Black doula trainers mm-hmm. and organizations within the United States. Um, it started off with just within the United States, but I did find a couple of um, trainers who actually are from abroad mm-hmm. um, or, you know, they teach abroad. And what made me decide to do this blog post is because I received a lot of inquiries from people who wanted to be doulas, but they wanted to be trained by someone who looks like them. Mm-hmm. So um, we are kind of overwhelmed with uh, major organizations um, who to basically choose as far as a uh, training is concerned, mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard to find. Um, a woman of color trainer mm-hmm. when you're looking for that. Um, and as someone who has been trained by a white trainer and a black trainer, I know the difference mm-hmm. and I appreciate both sides, mm-hmm. but I felt more connected with being trained by someone who has experience and um, I don't want to say been through because not all of our situations are the same, right. but Someone who has an idea of what I go through as a black woman in America, mm-hmm. who can relate to my experiences right. and who can relate to our experience as people of color in this nation and can highlight that. Right. Um, so that was the purpose, um, just to give um, people who have contacted me um, information about what they wanted, basically doula trainers who were of color in the United States, which was hard to find. And um, I wanted to provide that resource so people can have that. And I will be updating it soon. So it'll be updated. And more than likely, it will be a page on my website instead of a blog post. Got it. Well, thank you for that recess, recess, (laughs) resource. Um, (laughs) It's very, very beneficial. But also just thank you for your vulnerability, your vulnerability today um, and sharing your stories. Um, I think it's, it's as all our stories are are important and needed to be shared. Um, So I really just appreciate that. But if you found that you connected to any part of today's show or are interested in more stories, please subscribe and let us know what you think. If you find yourself wanting to share your story, head over to lgdula.com to complete a story submission. Um, as always, for our listeners, thank you for listening and joining our community today. And if you missed any parts of the show or would like to check out the resources discussed during the show, head over to the podcast section of lgdula.com to access the show notes. But other than that, thank you again, um, Deja, for sharing your stories today. You're welcome, and you have a nice day. All right. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, go to lgdula.com.
Today's programming is in partnership with French 22 Design and Creative Strategy, a design studio focused on brand development and creative strategy aimed at connecting with people who are committed to social impact. For more, visit www.french22.com. Allow French 22 to find purpose in your project today at www.french22.com. That is F-R-I-N-G-E-2-2.com. For sneak peeks of their work, you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at French22 Studio.